0: This. streak episode three welcome this is the podcast where we rate and review entire series of horror movies my name is eric goslin and joining me today as always
1: mr mike price mike how are you i'm good i'm good it's a sunny day outside we're doing a daytime record
0: yeah let's see how that affects play
1: yeah i don't know if it's going to be sufficiently spooky so if, this, if this episode seems too lighthearted, that's probably yeah.
0: The last two episodes that we recorded were both recorded on dark and stormy nights, and mm. I, I think you can feel that in the recording because I am shaking in my boots. Yeah. Uh, of, we are going to be talking today about the movie Return of the Living Dead Three. If you're just joining us for the first time, we have been covering the Return of the Living Dead series, so check out those previous episodes, and uh, we'll let you, so you can hear what we thought about those. Um, I do want to issue a brief, not a correction, but an apology. Oh boy! To um, Return of the Living Dead Part Two, which was a movie that we widely panned.
1: We there wasn't a lot in there that we liked. No, no, it sucked. I'm curious to see where this is going. I don't feel like I owe that movie an apology.
0: Well, um, two things. Okay. Sitting sitting about a foot and a half from me while we were recording both of those episodes are not one, but two books that I have about zombie movies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> one, one is called The Zombie Film, right. uh, from White Zombie to World War Z. And the other one is Zombie, edited by Alan Bryce. Uh, both of these talk about the movies that we're covering. Okay. And I just now, as I was waiting to record, was like, oh, shit, look at those. I bet there's <laughs> some information I could use in those. And turns out there was. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, the one thing, though, that we did not discuss is the tagline for Return to the Living Dead Part 2, which I do think is very funny. All right. Lay it, it, it on is me. just when you thought it was safe to be dead. That's <laughs> probably the funniest thing in the movie. Yeah,
1: that's absolutely. pretty good. Yeah, that is more clever. And I assume that's because a marketing team came up with it instead of the creative team.
0: No, it was Ken Weiderhorn. Really? The Yeah. Weed the weed came up with it but then uh he blamed the failure of the movie. He's like, "Well, I don't think people understood it. The audiences yeah. weren't hit, weren't there for it."
1: Yeah. It's always the audience's fault. In yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you it's ever never- make something and people don't <laughs> respond well to it, become combative and blame it on them. Yeah,
0: <laughs> absolutely. Uh you are always going to be ahead of your time and people just don't get it yet.
1: Yeah. was there a second thing from the uh, no that was it (laughs) well
0: there's more there's some stuff about the movie we're about to talk about okay but uh we don't want to get didn't backtrack. yeah exactly
1: exactly cool um well let's jump into talking about that movie uh so yeah for this week's episode we watched return of the living dead 3 uh we have uh, director brian yesna joining the series for the first time this is 1993 and boy oh boy doesn't it feel like it it really does yeah there's a
0: lot in this movie that really dates it in the
1: 90s um, yeah and i'm not gonna say that's necessarily bad uh, no no yeah. i mean it is I, of its time yeah but it is it is unmistakably a 90s film
0: yes from um, the clothing to the music to just the general attitude. Yeah,
1: really the whole thing. It's just of a piece uh, yeah. in, that, in that era. Um, so we have... Uh, this is the lowest budget of the series so far. Is that so? Yeah. Because I would say the special effects in this
0: are pretty phenomenal.
1: Yeah, well, we can talk about that. One of the reasons I think they were able to... I mean, this is, this is the kind of thing that I, could, I think could go either way. Sometimes this approach works. Sometimes it totally blows up in your face. But they shot it very cheap and very fast. And so what they did was they spread a lot of the work out. So on the first two movies, you've got one primary special effects team working on the whole thing. For this one, they actually employed, if I'm not mistaken, five different uh, special effects teams. Holy to, shit. Yeah, to work on various aspects of the film. Um, huh. They also took a sort of similar approach to shooting, where they were shooting simultaneously with two crews. Hmm. Um, so they had one for principal photography, uh, and then the other second unit was just doing extensive special effects shots. Okay. Uh, yeah, and so they were kind of – that's one of the ways they were able to shoot on such a short schedule – And again, that's one way to get more bang for your buck. If you are able to shoot fast, every day you add to a production adds just countless dollars. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, you have to feed the crew. You have to get bathrooms for the
0: crew. Mm -hmm. All just, even just the nuts and bolts of. Yeah. You have to
1: get tissues for the crew. For the crew. um, I mean, not even just the film and stuff involved. Yeah.
0: For the crew. Uh Yeah. You have to make sure the crew is comfortable with you tickling them, which kind of <laughs> takes a lot of money to pay them off. Sometimes, if they don't, yeah. Listen, I, I just know from my own experiences of making films. An, another Yeti Love Story, Life on the Streets, available to stream on Tubi for
1: free, or you can rent it if you want to throw me a couple bucks. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, going back to where we were, um, just a, a tiny bit of pre-production background. So. Tom Fox is gone. We talked in in part one and part two about this guy who bought the rights for Return of the Living Dead from John Russo, who was one of the makers of the original Night of the Living Dead. Mm -hmm. At this point, the rights to this series have transferred over to Trimark Pictures. Mm. Um, And so this is a genre... Uh, production house for the most part so they have experience we're, we're back into the world of people producing this movie that have experience in the genre in horror and in film in general right mm-hmm. uh, i think one of the things that got part two in trouble was a lack of uh sort of a leadership from a production perspective right um and
0: trimark who has made a uh, series like leprechaun Um, In the
1: Cyborg series. Warlock, I believe, uh, is another Trimark. Yeah, so uh, if nothing else, at this point in time, Trimark is, they're in their element here of uh, producing and distributing fairly low-budget horror stuff.
0: Um, Something I read in the book that I just recently discovered that I have (laughs) was that uh, Yuzna thought the first movie was wonderful and a, a nice mix of humor and horror but the second one was too goofy which was something that we can all agree on well you and i can yeah uh so in this one he wanted to take a completely different approach from the first two movies and to go completely serious
1: yeah and i would say that he succeeded certainly in taking a different approach here this is a movie uh that feels very uh Different, for lack of a better word, I don't want to. I don't want to get too deep into it before we start talking about it, but it absolutely uh, is not goofy, uh, and uh, and it takes things in a different direction than the first film as well.
0: Yeah, it's it totally um, very different from the first two movies, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing in the case of this movie. Um, whereas the first one had a really distinct feel to it, mm-hmm. the second one didn't so much. This yep. one. Finally, it's back in the hands of somebody with a pretty clear vision.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the movie – with with some faults, manages to carry that through the entire thing. It stays very consistent, coherent, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it, it it works in its favor. So just uh, before we start talking about uh, our plot, uh, a little more background on the director. For those of you who aren't familiar, Brian Yuzna started out as a producer in horror. Um, he is best known for ferrying uh, the Reanimator series into existence mm-hmm. uh, with director Stuart Gordon. Um, Reanimator, another Hall of Fame horror film for myself. Uh, Oh, mine too. Yeah, this is uh, one. Rest
0: in peace, Stuart Gordon too. He he just passed away within the past couple weeks.
1: He did. He did. He's he was a great great director. Um, and these two guys, Stuart Gordon and Brian Yuzna, had a real partnership creatively. Um, so Yuzna kind of got Stuart Gordon into directing, into filmmaking in the first place, he was a theater guy for a long time in Chicago. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's still how he's known to a lot of people. Um but uh eventually uh stopped not didn't stop producing, but in addition to producing, went out, struck out, started directing on his own. Uh he did a handful of movies before this, including the sequel to Reanimator, Bride of Reanimator, he Mm -hmm. he directed. Um, and there's also some carryover, I, I think, from that film and from Reanimator in general that we can talk about today. Um, but yeah, Bride of Reanimator, definitely you can see where he sort of uh, picked up where he left off in terms of this sort of female uh, heroine uh, creature monster. Uh, there's definitely like a continuation of the work here that he was doing on Bride of Reanimator. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of. A lot of weird, not weird, that's that's the wrong thing to say. There's a lot of relationship subtext in this movie. Maybe yeah. it's not even subtext, it's just text. Mm-hmm. That um, the whole time I was watching it really felt to me like Yuzna was working through something. <laughs> like a bad breakup or something.
1: Well, what's funny is I feel like you can trace that all the way back through Bride of Reanimator and reanimator too and Mm -hmm. i almost wonder if it's less of like a at this point in time and more of this is brian yesna's thing like he's got maybe yeah he's got some unprocessed stuff to get to which (laughs) hey what better way to do it than in a gory horror movie all
0: right let's take a quick break and then we're gonna get into the recap of the movie eric you want to take us into the flick yeah, man. We open on a military base. It's just like a series of cages, and we get uh, some soldiers wheeling a dead body on a gurney. We meet Colonel John Reynolds and Lieutenant Colonel Sinclair, who uh, I recognize from Superman in oh. uh, the movie Conan the Destroyer, which I had re- just recently seen. Uh, she, she, uh, They're two competing scientist soldiers, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. They're both working on turning dead bodies into soldiers. Yeah. Um, he wants to reanimate them and use them. She wants to reanimate them and attach exoskeletons to them. So they're competing. They're they're both – and immediately there's some tension between yeah. the two.
1: Yeah, two competing techs, um, neither of which seems particularly well-conceived <laughs> as, we, yeah. as we make yeah. it through this movie. But um, – For now, the exoskeleton idea is one that we just hear of in theory, uh, although, who knows, maybe by the end of the movie we'll get to see it in action.
0: Maybe, if we're lucky. Uh, We cut to some teens on a beach. We meet Julie, who is played by... Shit. Melinda Clark. Melinda Clark. Melinda Clark, yeah. How do you know her? uh, Well, I actually don't uh, recognize her. Oh, wow. I'm sure I've seen her in stuff, but there was nothing that that popped into my head when i saw her but i just read a great quote by yasna mm-hmm. which was mindy would have a wonderful acting career if she stopped doing movies like mine <laughs> that
1: was great yeah, that's really good. Yeah, so she's credited as Mindy Clark in this film, but she uh-huh. eventually goes to be known as Melinda Clark. Uh, and in the 2000s, she, she rose to a certain amount of fame by playing Julie Cooper on The O.C. She was one of the, the core cast members. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, and for me, who so The O.C. came out right when I was in college. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I used to watch it with my buddy Dave. And I remember when she first showed up I was like, "Oh, that's uh that's the chick from Return of the Living Dead 3." And no one knew what I was talking about. But Was
0: she playing a teenager in the OC? No,
1: she's playing a young she's she basically plays like a cougar type. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, that makes yeah. sense
0: cuz the time.
1: Yeah, she's yeah, like a like happens. late 30s early 40s uh mother of a teenager.
0: Um which is my age now. Yeah. Which <laughs> think of like, oh no, I'm not a cou uh, I I'm not a cougar, but like that fact that like we're in cougar territory now. No, you're friends. what
1: are you, a silver seal? A
0: silver fox. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm a silver otter, I guess.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's the one, an otter. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we meet all these kids doing what kids do uh, in movies. If they live in California, which is hanging out by the ocean, hanging by the ocean, and she's got the dopest blossom hat on. It is. Yeah. Yeah, like right from the get go, it's like, oh yeah, early '90s fashion.
0: Absolutely. She's burning her hand with a zip with a Zippo and uh then up pulls a motorcycle with her boyfriend Kurt. Ooh. And we meet our two lovebirds
1: our two leads. Before we move too far, can I can ask you a question. Mhm. Did you ever own a Zippo lighter when you were in high school? Uh, yeah, a bunch. Yeah. I I've owned several. It was a big thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I would pop it open mm-hmm. with just like, you know, like kind of
0: snapping my fingers. Yeah. And then I did you really learn how to do the smoke. thing where
1: you snap your fingers to to light it?
0: Um I don't know that I did. Okay. Maybe I'm
1: sure I tried. Yeah, I don't but know But you didn't. Ever... You didn't really smoke that much, right?
0: No, no, not really. Not with any regularity. Not enough to own a, a Zippo lighter,
1: right? Because it was. Just I a just thought thing. they were cool. Yeah, it yeah. was a thing you did to be cool. You would buy one at like Hot Topic or like yeah. a head shop. And, and then yeah. not get the. It would dry out, and yeah. I wouldn't have
0: the lighter fluid. <laughs> and then I'd just be like, Well, I guess I just got to get a new Zippo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, Classic, classic. Yeah.
0: And I remember um, back in Boston when you just ha- would be at bars mm-hmm. and they they would come by with like free cigarettes if you yeah. would answer a survey and they would give out Zippo lighters mm-hmm. too sometimes. And yeah, I got I got some that way too, even though I didn't need them. I didn't even cool. smoke weed at the time.
1: Well, you don't yeah. want to you don't want to light a bowl with a Zippo lighter. You start to inhale the. Oh, you know. The hey, pro tip of the week. Yeah, yeah. If you're doing a bowl, you, you want to get uh, like just a standard. You know. Yeah. Bick. So we, uh,
0: Julie hops on Kurt's bike and they ride, baby. Uh, <laughs> back in the lab, the body's being wheeled into a sterile room with barrels of 245 trioxin. hmm Yeah. The it, the body is in this weird S&M gear. It's yeah. just like this, a lot of harness work. Mm-hmm. I feel like that zombie would be huge on Tumblr. Like, <laughs> 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 would have a big following. Because he's like really skinny too. I think like, that guy, if he were uh, a zombie in s gear in 2020, he'd have a, yeah. quite the following. The only fans would be popping. Yeah,
1: there's a market for that now. Yeah, so this guy is actually played by a gentleman named Clarence Epperson. Uh, and continuing in the tradition of borderline uh, ethically sound production moves, he was a, uh, an unhoused gentleman from the Los Angeles area. Really? Um, yeah. And so they, if you read on, you can even find this on like the IMDb trivia and stuff, but it's like the producers decided to put him up in a hotel in Santa Clarita near the, uh, near the production because they were afraid they wouldn't be able to track him down if they let him stay homeless. And I i've i've read that that piece of trivia a bunch of times and it always uh, begs the question why didn't they just put him in a motel you know to be decent human beings yeah (laughs) um it's like well we weren't sure if we're gonna be able to find him and it's like you just give the guy a fucking place to sleep while you're employing him in a movie but it's a fun piece of trivia because apparently uh after he was cast as production grew closer he began to make uh more extreme demands like uh, a limousine to escort him to <laughs> to and from the set was one that I uh that I really enjoyed. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So good for Clarence Epperson to get one back uh on those guys. But yeah, he's definitely has a very distinctive look. You can tell why they cast him. Uh somewhere I think before they they drive off, Curtin Julie
0: Decide they're going to sneak into the army base. Mm-hmm. So they arrive at the base. He says he's there to see his dad. Um, and there's some business with a, a stolen key card uh, as they're trying to get in. He has his father's key card that he stole from him. And it won't – he's trying to swipe it, and it won't work. And she takes it from him and licks it yeah. and swipes it. And it works. Yeah. Uh, so they're sneaking onto the base. Um, I like the look of the base. It feels – it's like l- these little cells and boxes mm-hmm. all welded together. It feels like realistic and temporary in a, in a way that's like oh, this yeah. ramshackle thing that they put together to like.
1: I said I described it as looking cheap and great. Um, yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> like
1: it kind of reminded me almost of if you've ever watched Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Like, yeah, it's just like there's not a lot of money that seems like it went into this set design, but some heart and soul did. Yes. So the scientists,
0: including Kurt's dad, pumped trioxin into the room. and the Which is S- not
1: – it's not green anymore, by the way. I just wanted to, to wage this little complaint. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We've got the trioxin pumping around the room, and it's uh, – it's, it's, now it's it's clear or white instead of being green mustard color like it used to be.
0: Yeah. We are missing that. Um, the uh, S&M freak I wrote down <laughs> <laughs> who looks great. Um, a little
1: cod piece.
0: Yeah, yeah. We see. We start getting a heartbeat on the monitors. Holy shit, it's alive. And uh, it's sort of looking up, and it sees Kurt and Julie looking down at him from above.
1: Yeah, so they're, they're, sneaking they're watching on this happen.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, they're sneaking around the base, trying to spy stuff, and they manage to find the exact right room to be peering into at the right time. <laughs> right. And it just starts going nuts. So they
0: shoot it in the head with this dart, It looks really cool, but I couldn't figure out what it was doing because it it hits him in the head and then Mm -hmm. it sort of spreads white like it's freezing him. Yeah. Is it
1: supposed to be freezing them? Yes. So I think they talk about this at some point where it's like they freeze the neurons in the brain or something, and that stops the sort of reanimation for a while. I must
0: have missed that line. Um so the the experiment then is a success.
1: They were able to reanimate a dead body. And then take more almost more importantly, the other thing, they know they can reanimate a body with two four five triaxin. Yep. They're testing this control method, and that's that's the big point of all of this. Right, the
0: dark gun. Mm-hmm. To be able to just turn them off. So Kurt's dad's plan is we can use these bodies as soldiers, deactivate them, and then put them in storage for next time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a real doofus in a hazmat suit sticks his fingers in the zombie's mouth. And uh, sorry, buddy, it's alive. It bites his finger right off. Um, he knifes him. and uh, Another soldier pulls a gun and shoots the zombie. But, of course, it has no effect. At this point in the series, we know that bullets do nothing on these guys. The zombie smashes the dude's head on the window. He's dead. We got a body count of one.
1: There's blood Ever Everywhere. My note right here is yes, the gore is back. We are ten minutes into this movie, and it is already gorier than the entirety of *Return of the Living Dead* part. Yeah,
0: uh, the other guys, the two guys in the room, fumble for the dark gun, and then blam, they get it, shoot it in the head. Uh, the dead hazmat guy comes alive. He mm. bites a dude on the leg. The people in the lab freak out and seal the room, and blam, the remaining dude. Darts the new zombie the, the the hazmat guy right so meanwhile kurt and julie are they're seeing all of this shit yeah. um and then they get they get out of there back at the house <laughs> kurt and julie are up in a tree f-u-c-k-i-n-g
1: yeah they just there's and this <laughs> is the first of a couple of moments in this film where there's a real whiplash from a horrifying, gory, unsettling situation to an opportunity to fuck. Yeah,
0: you know, I mean, you remember being young, right? Yeah, it's You know, at the vaguely. drop of a hat. I remember on 9-11 going home <laughs> back from Boston to Maine with my girlfriend and trying to convince her to- to have sex that night and she was like no way and i was like come on man this is they, the difference they would have wa- they would have wanted us to enjoy ourselves you know life is for the living <laughs> <laughs> you're going to hell yeah we didn't though we didn't oh, okay it doesn't um so she's distracted and she's thinking about what the dead guy, if the dead guy felt anything when the bullet hit his skull. Mm-hmm. And she says, it must be awful to be dead. Uh, and we got some boobs, too. First yeah. nudity of the movie. Yeah, the nudity Ruby. is back.
1: The gore is back already. Yeah. I'm like, all right, this is promising. It's a promising start.
0: Yeah. Um, so Kurt and his dad, it comes out that Kurt and his dad are sort of estranged. His father's always gone. He never really sees them. Um, and then he, he tells her that I'm never going to let you go.
1: Ever. Yeah. So. They're very um, bonded. They're very culturally. bonded. Maybe yeah.
0: it's a little bit too enmeshed. Definitely Parents. some codependence going on. A little
1: here. bit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh the dad comes home. He wants to talk to Kurt. Uh he tells him he's being reassigned to Oklahoma City. Mm. And of course, Kurt is not pumped. No. He's got his smoke show girlfriend. He's he's got his motorcycle. He finally
1: has some friends.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, the father says, I've been putting up a, he puts up a fight to his father yeah. and his father says, I bought you that motorcycle and I let you be a rock and roll drummer, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. I really yeah. love the runner in this movie of Kurt's rock and roll. Yeah. He's got career. these rock and roll
1: dreams, which we never see <laughs> him in a band. Yeah. Spoiler. The yeah. entire movie. He never gets to show off his skills, but we hear about them more than once. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh yeah, I just wanted to say I this is a this is like a trope of 80 like late 80s and and 90s movies that I love and I miss, which is just like a good military dad who's yeah. who's fucking up a teenager's life.
0: Yeah. Um so Kurt storms out. There's a confrontation where Julie's putting her like leather jacket on over her bare tits. <laughs> and uh the father yells, "You never acted like this when your mother was alive." So setting up that Kurt's mother has passed. You know, he's living with his father, moving from place to place. Uh, we get a sweet guitar lick, and they're speeding away on his hog. <laughs> Julie starts hot-dogging. Yeah. Uh, is, like, kind of shaking the bike, grabs his his dingling 1st <laughs> time I've said that. We're it
1: works. It works.
0: In a long time. Uh, and then, oh, shit, there's a truck. They swerve. Hit a guardrail. She flies through the air. Hits a fucking telephone pole. Breaks her neck.
1: Yeah, it's 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 bad. It's really bad. It happens really fast and really early. And yeah, if you're not ready for it, uh, it really catch you off guard.
0: Yeah, it's very
1: hereditary. I guess uh, or other way around.
0: Sure. Uh, She's dead. We got a body count of two. Uh, He cries and he holds her and he sees the stolen ID card that she still has, mm-hmm. and he gets an idea. Yeah, um, One, you know, we kind of covered it before, but one in my notes here, I said, this movie needs more humor, which is true. It just, yeah. it's completely serious. This it is like is. a Romeo and Juliet with zombies, mm-hmm. sort of.
1: Yeah, but I, I would argue that it is uh, less playful than any other incarnation of Romeo and Juliet I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, true. Because yeah. the thing is, you don't get any time to enjoy the, you know, like what Romeo and Juliet often has going for it is that you get this romance, this, you know, a budding romance. They're happy in fits and spurts. But here it's like we're 15 minutes into the movie and and no one is going to be happy again for the rest yeah. of this film.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. Uh, he drives her dead body to the base. Uh, he sneaks by Sinclair, gets suited up pops a barrel and gets blown back by the gas
1: yeah he blows the whole thing open and there's yeah. just fucking gas everywhere and the whole barrel blows wide open
0: and i notice at this point that there's a hole in the foot of his hazmat suit where he'd been walking on it oh yeah <laughs> rendering that suit useless <laughs> okay well
1: never comes up
0: <laughs> yeah oh no, no no that's definitely just like a, a goof sure uh check that in the imdb goof section uh, and she's back, baby. And she yeah. just wakes up and says, Kurt, that was incredible. Let's do it again.
1: Yeah. Chill. A lot of connection between sex and death in this movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's into some weird shit.
0: Yeah. Uh, but then she's, she notices she feels numb and her neck hurts and she, she can't hold it up for a second. She can mm-hmm. hold it up for the rest of the movie, but like she did break <laughs> her neck Yeah, and she like, kind of like can't hold her head up straight, which I think is. Real gross.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's real horrifying, but luckily it goes away immediately. Immediately, and never comes back.
0: Turning <laughs> her head like it's no problem. Yeah, uh, but so she's back. But mm-hmm. so is the zombie in the
1: barrel. Yeah, I think we could we could kind of refer to this zombie as like tar. Tar Person 3. Yeah, um, right. It's, it's a different take still from the first two movies, but I think this is sort of a, a thing we have now, the barrel zombie, the yep. tar man. This one, I think, is this a woman? Oh, it might
0: be. I couldn't really tell, because it's all, like, fused together. Yeah. Like, its shoulder is stuck to the mm-hmm. its head. It's it real looks, gross. It's real gross. It's very yasna. It like, is. Like, the whole of society, the mm-hmm. movie society, looks... This like fleshy, like fused together look. Yeah, it's fused
1: wet. together, I think is the right term to describe his look of like mm. weird, gross stuff. Yeah, it, I, I, my note was that this tar person could be a little bit gooier. I would, I would sure, I would yeah, take that, yeah. But you don't get a sense of decay. No, but otherwise, I think it's a great, effect. it's a great effect. It's creepy. It looks cool, and it's something that we haven't seen in any of the movies up to this. point. No,
0: uh, Kurt breaks it to Julie that she's dead. Uh, but then the zombie busts in and grabs her. And as it does, it pulls its skull away from its fused skin. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's so cool. I yeah. love that part. It's just like it's one half of its skull is exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, a guard catches them, but then he gets eaten by the zombie bringing the body count up to three and, uh, they speed off on his bike. Mm hmm. Uh Kurt's dad then is watching the security tape of what just happened. And they put an APB out on him. Um and he says, "They brought her back, he brought her back intact, and their strong bond should be enough to keep her from attacking him. But if she deteriorates enough, she'll turn into a full a full-blown zombie."
1: Yeah, so she's kind of a ticking time bomb. Yeah. And the only thing keeping her from becoming truly evil is their love. Pure love. Yeah.
0: Um, so this is something I noted, too. Uh, in this movie, I think this might be the first time that we've seen a zombie bite turn people into zombies. And maybe it's just that they died and yeah. were exposed to the gas. Uh-huh. But in the hazmat suit, um, when people, in this, it seems that when people get bit, yeah. like in other zombie movies, they turn into a zombie. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe um,
1: I. Uh, I mean, I think that it's it's mostly implied in previous movies, but we definitely have. I think we have. I'm, now I'm 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 racking my brain too. Are there people who died and then come back without being exposed to the gas?
0: Yeah, like it, I think in the first movie, um, when like Scuzz or Suicide mm-hmm. get, gets their head bitten, yeah, they don't come back. Yeah, you're They're right. dead because they weren't exposed to the gas. Mm. Um. So they're on the they're on Kurt's bike, and she starts getting hungry or hangry. Am I right, brothers? <laughs> we all been there. Um, cut to a convenience store, and um, these fellas and ladies—they are over the top. I-, I would say in their Latino gangness,
1: yeah, that, in a way that I
0: didn't really want to like. When I was taking notes, I was like the guys <laughs> didn't want to be like the the gang members sure that's taking a lot of assumptions here but they're pretty over the top they're playing an arcade game and i noticed i recognized the clerk is dana lee who plays mr takahashi from curb your enthusiasm
1: i did not i did not catch that
0: oh yeah he's like the the um head of the country club that larry david yeah belongs the thing to. When, he,
1: when he kills the swan when he kills that- the swan yeah, yeah. exactly yeah uh-huh.
0: Uh, sure. He's also in Rambo: First Blood Part Two.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah, I cool. recognized the uh, the lead gang member immediately, uh, but I couldn't tell from what. And I think he he's got a history. He's been in a bunch of Roger, Robert Rodriguez movies. Yes, yes. Yeah.
0: And the other guy too, the other uh, male like gang guy, mm-hmm. he's just has a face. Like he's been in a bunch of shit too. Yeah. Curt um, and Julie come in. She's starving and just starts eating food. And, uh, the, but none the guy, of it
1: really seems to be satisfying her.
0: No, no. Yeah. Um, the gang members, for lack of a better term, start to fuck with him. They're like, what the, what's wrong with her? And they start to bully him. Uh, and the, the Dana Lee kicks them out. And then one of them just robs the fucking store while his back is turned.
1: Yeah, yeah, very opportunistic. Um, we are, it is established very quickly that this, this is a, a nasty gang of bad yeah.
0: folks. Dana, uh, I'm going to keep calling him Dana Lee, pulls a gun on them. There's a struggle, and he's shot. Um, They run out, but Julie bites one of them before they go. I can't remember the guy's name. Um, The the one who's robbing the
1: register. Yeah, Yeah,
0: he gets bitten by Julie. Yeah. Um, And then they kick over Kurt's bike on the way, which apparently renders it useless (laughs) because (laughs) then they have to steal a van.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, he like comes
0: uh, out, he's like, Oh no.
1: Yeah, and uh Dana Dana Lee needs a ride to the hospital, obviously, because yep. he got shot and it's the least they can do.
0: Um, I liked this moment. They pull off and the cops are show are showing up mm-hmm. and uh Dana Lee's like, Wait, I'll go with them. But they just <laughs> drive off. <laughs> yeah, I mean
1: also, yeah, he's like, You gotta give me a ride to the hospital. It's like I'm pretty sure somebody's coming, dude. You know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> But the cops open fire on the van too. Mm-hmm. Uh, very so she, LA. Very LA. Very LA. Julie's still starving, and to distract herself, she starts poking herself with a pin. Mm-hmm. Um, the cops. <laughs> the cops shoot Dana Lee in the head because he opened up the the back to like start yeah. like waving to them. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, hey! They just shoot him in the head. <laughs> yeah, it's very LAPD
1: right it feels it's funny cuz i bet at this point it it probably seemed exaggerated but now it's like yeah that seems about right
0: yeah <laughs> Uh, So we bring our dead body count up to four and then Julie just eats the fuck out of his brains.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And Kurt sort of slow. makes a, a terrifying slow discovery of it when he brings Mm -hmm. the van to a stop and he's like, what are you doing back there? And there's some gross slurping sounds and stuff. You hear it before you see it. Yeah. And it, and it's funny, you know, maybe this is just me. I had some, some as a younger person, some, uh, run-ins with like terrifying animal behavior. Uh, Here's a, here's a quick little anecdote. Okay. My sister had two pet rats, right? Uh uh-huh. I never liked them because rats are gross. Uh, mm-hmm. She loved them and thought they were so cute and they'd like run on her shoulders and her hair and shit. And I was just like, no, mm-hmm. uh, not for me. Like uh, and then she kept them in a cage on her dresser. This, she was three years younger than She's probably like. 10 or 11 at this point. Mm -hmm. Then uh, she got a pet mouse and the mouse I thought was really cute. It was like this little special Norwegian wood mouse or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brought it home. First day she has it. She puts it in a different cage next to the two rats. Well, a few hours go by, and I left my bedroom, which was next to my sister's room. I walked past her open door. And have you ever had this experience when, when you discover something horrible or bad? And I, like, walked past it, but my brain registered that something was wrong. Yeah. It's something I just felt like, yeah. off, yeah. And I, like, turned back. And I'm not saying I have some sort of sixth sense. I mean, it's like literally just in my peripheral vision, I think I caught something off. I walked back over to my sister's room. Her rats had chewed their way through the top of their cage, through the top of the mouse's cage, and the two of them were eating the mouse.
0: Jesus Christ. The mouse
1: was dead and one of them I swear was like eating its head and I was just like, "Oh, uh. God, this is horrible." Yeah. And, and that I mean that shit stuck with me. And I was I was a teenager. I was probably 14, 15. And I still think about that all the time. Not all well, the time, but it like comes up. It really freaked the shit out of me. And the reason would, I, you know, me sorry, too, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, I was
0: gonna say that would freak me out as well.
1: Yeah, and obviously, it's like so this scene has elements of that for me, where it's like at first he's not really sure what's going on, and you know I know what's coming because I've seen this movie before, and it's been a while, but and I'm familiar with you know the tropes of zombie films, but I actually think it is pretty well done, where it's the first sort of discovery of exactly how off she is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's easy to dismiss it as being like a foregone conclusion when you know what's coming. But but yeah, I think it's a it's a, an appropriately kind of uh, uh, sick discovery to to look in the back of the van and realize that she is eating his brains. Yeah. My wife had a similar story where she had
0: two hamsters and went to school, then came back and there was only one hamster because the other one had eaten the, the other one. And maybe there's a skeleton left. I don't remember the details. I'm sure that her child brain also. Oh, Jesus. But, like, they're just fucking. Um, yeah. They're just vermin, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. They're crazy. They're crazy. Vermin be crazy. <laughs> um, so the cops find the van. Zombie Dana Lee pops out and kills a cop, bringing the body count up to five. Mm. His head's half gone. It looks awesome. Yeah. And the army then just arrives and darts them. Oh. <laughs> There's something uh, off screen. A camera says, Sandusky, let's roll. <laughs> Which I, I think is in the running for me. I, I, as a favorite line. Yeah. Well, did, yeah, favorite line. I mean, that maybe it didn't age well. Um, Kurt and Julie are in the sewers. She finds a spring, like a bed spring. And sticks it through her skin. Yeah. And it looks disgusting. I wrote, Come
1: on, Yasna. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is this is in the midst of one of these scenes. That there's a handful of where this movie spends a surprising amount of time on her struggle and the struggle of the two of them to maintain a relationship in the midst of what she's going through.
0: Yeah, which brings me back to my thesis that this is Yasna working through a bad breakup yeah where it's like because they keep trying to make it work but she can't help but be who she is at yeah. this point she
1: is in tremendous pain and she has an overwhelming desire to eat people now yeah. one thing I do want to give Yasna a quick, and the scriptwriter a quick knock for here is that they seem to have sort of lost the thread on brains. Um, yes,
0: because in this it's the pain,
1: right, that helps, yeah, uh, stave uh, off the hump. which, like, I can get that. Especially, I like it as an S and M thing and as a metaphor. Uh, you know, kind of like the way you know, I'm not a fan of like cutting, for instance, and, no. and you know, that sort of stuff. But but I do think that you know, he's obviously trying to draw those comparisons of like you're distracting from this pain with uh, like emotional pain with physical pain um and it's a cool thing that he sort of taps into for me it's just about the mythology of the series and yes and it's even when she is hungry you know she she eats like half the time in this movie we see it's just like sort of attacks there's not a, there's there's less of the emphasis on like i need this person's brains mm-hmm. and it's more just like people getting attacked by zombies so in a way uh,
0: it, this movie it doesn't feel like a Return of the Living Dead movie.
1: No. Through I, a lot of it. Other than the trioxin yeah, connection. Yeah, and I was debating how long to wait uh, in our discussion before I talked about this, but I'll just kind of throw it out here now, which is, I think, uh, I'll preface this by saying, I think this is a good movie. I I, I liked mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. It's certainly better than the previous installment, but you're right. It doesn't feel quite of a piece with, Uh, the return of the living dead series Mm -hmm. and to me it almost feels like this would make more sense as another reanimator sequel
0: yes it really it
1: good point good point um because there's a lot of things that i think uh you know they they give a different mythology at one point for why the uh creatures crave brains so they they they, uh, acknowledge it in the front and it's it's something about needing the neurons like they're uh i I have this written down somewhere they added this uh this additional explanation that uh that the zombies like it's it's tied into the way that the dart works where it immobilizes or sort of shuts down the brain Uh, Mm -hmm. And that they're constantly craving neurons because their nervous systems shut down. And that's why they're trying to eat brains. But we already know from the first movie, there's an explanation that there's pain, the pain of being dead and eating brains makes the pain go away. Mm -hmm. Now, I guess you could kind of marry these things together into one like cohesive explanation. But it does feel in various parts of this movie like. There is not that much uh, attention being paid to keeping this uh, in line with the other movies, yeah, and, and to yeah. adhere to the mythology.
0: Yeah, no, I feel that for sure. Um, so th- they're in the sewers. She said she they get into an argument where she says, "You brought me back, and you should have just left me dead." And then uh, he says to her, "Like, what was I thinking? Look at you; you're disgusting." Mm. And she storms off. Yeah, uh, and I wrote that this movie does feel personal in a way. Mm-hmm. Um way more personal than the other two for sure like tonally and very dark and sad. Mm-hmm. Uh cut to some weirdo in the shadows who we will later find out is Riverman uh watching all this. Um Julie is up on a bridge like the 7th Street bridge if you're familiar here with LA, in LA, one of those bridges. Uh and she's going to jump and he just keeps saying the wrong thing because he said <laughs> While she's, like, about to jump, he's like, I like you the way you were before. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah no, 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 there. no, that's not going to stop her. Yeah, man, that's... Uh,
0: she jumps. Uh, she gets washed down the L.A. River.
1: Yeah, and to be clear, this is not a jump into, like, a river river. It's the L.A. River. Yeah. She takes like a header onto- into four inches of water on concrete.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, Kurt goes after her. That weirdo uh, riverman is following behind... Um, the guy. Uh, so then, the guys from the store are in a car. Uh, one of them's sick. The one who got bit by Julie. He's starting to get sick. Um, and they want payback, man. And there's only. <laughs> this is crazy. They. Uh, they're like, well, where? They, where could they have gone? Well, there's only one way out of that alley, through the sewer tunnel, and out the Seventh Street Bridge. I was right. It was a Seventh Street mm-hmm. Bridge. Uh.
1: So let's go to the river and I see mean, where they come out. Yeah, these guys know their neighborhood. There's no. I guess so. It. Yeah. <laughs>
0: The guy who's following Kurt catches up to him. He's a homeless guy, and he said, "I saw a, I saw a river swallow three men in New Orleans." Mm-hmm. Um, finally, they find Julie washed up in some trash. She looks dead, but of course, she's not.
1: Yeah, Riverman's uh, still tagging along.
0: Yeah, Riverman still tagging along. Kurt kisses her, which is disgusting. And that water, oh, <laughs> <ugh. laughs> and she says. Why are you doing this to me? I'm not alive. I'm not dead. I'm just lonely. Oh, boy, We're just going through something, man. Yeah. Uh, just then, the people from the store arrive, and they so Kurt and Julie and Riverman go into a tunnel to hide. Mm-hmm. And also, simultaneous to this, the army also figures out where they are.
1: Yeah. So we've got like a three. That's like they, the the Kurt and Julie and Riverman are out in front. And we've mm-hmm. got the gang behind them, and then right behind them, we've it's got the Kurt's army. dad and the army folks. But at this point, has Kurt? They've they've split off, right? Kurt's dad has kind of had his he had a little confrontation with. Uh... It's about to happen. Okay, um, yeah. Walk so us through that. Kurt's
0: dad for bungling this whole situation gets demoted. Sinclair gets put in his in his place in command, and she says we're gonna have to kill Kurt because he at this point he's definitely been exposed mm-hmm. to whatever turns the zomb- people into zombies. So then Kurt's dad goes into business for himself.
1: Yeah. But he does manage to bring a couple soldiers with him somehow, which is great. Yeah, maybe. Right. They're just really good buddies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, you got to do me a solid. Let's yeah. go against direct orders.
1: <laughs> That's how it works in the army. Yeah. This army in this movie takes a lot of liberties, like with uh, the types of conversations they're willing to have in front of people's kids. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Letting teenagers just wander around a facility. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll touch on that again in the uh, in the climax of the film.
0: <laughs> uh, in the tunnel, Julie's cramping up just like in the first two movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the homeless man leads them to his home in the tunnel. He lets them rest. Uh,
1: can, we, can we please call him by his proper name, River Man?
0: River. Well, he hasn't said it yet, but I guess I, I've already. You blew said it. it. You I let the cat it. out of the bag. He's River Man. Um. So Julie's resting. <laughs>
1: yeah. She's and taking a Kurt, nap.
0: Kurt tells Riverman how he wants to run away to Seattle to be a drummer in a band. <laughs> and they have this long conversation about how viable it would be. Is it viable for him <laughs> to uh be a drummer? <laughs> Yeah, and he's like Riverman's basically like, "Well, you gotta pursue your dreams, man." <laughs> and
1: um, yeah, and this is this is like prime Seattle grunge, right? Yeah, this Seattle. Never like Nevermind is hot era. Right now.
0: Yeah. Yep. Uh, Riverman just
1: came out last year.
0: <laughs> Riverman gives him a Mardi Gras coin. Uh, basically, is like, "You're gonna give this to someone someday as a favor, mm-hmm. and, th- this- and they'll grant you that favor."
1: This is what that movie Pay It Forward is is about, right? I like, wrote
0: Pay It Forward in my notes. <laughs> I've,
1: never, I've never seen it, but I don't know if that movie has a Mardi Gras coin, but that's what Riverman explains to Kurt. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Someday there'll be a movie called Pay It Forward, and I think it stars Kevin Spacey, yeah. who my views align with perfectly. <laughs> Brian Peck, Brian Spacey, Peck and Spacey. Out. those guys party together for sure. I mean, for I, sure.
1: I mean, actually, yes, like not for sure. Like they're both fucking singer dudes too, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <It's, sighs>
0: why do I keep bringing this up? <laughs> As if it's something funny. It's not yeah.
1: funny. This is, this is episode three of this podcast. <laughs> We've managed to talk about pedophilia rings in like every episode. <laughs> You already made a Jerry Sandusky chair in this.
0: <laughs> it wasn't a joke. It didn't age well. <laughs> All right,
1: anyways, we we examine horrors both cinematic and, and in real, real life. life.
0: Yeah, uh, Julie starts to turn starts turning blue, and he tells uh, Kurt, "Tells her, we'll move to Seattle, a place by the water. I'll get a gig in a band." You can party and just watch me play. Woof. What a a plan. What a life. You can party all the time and just watch me gig around.
1: Yeah. (laughs) What a dream come true. That's what your wife signed up for, (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. Come on, honey. I'll spend most of my 20s and into my 30s not getting paid.
1: Baby, Jess, I'll give you half my drink tickets.
0: (laughs) Uh, So Julie storms off. She doesn't feel the same way she did before, and she's so goddamn hungry. Mm. Um, she starts cutting herself with glass just to get some sweet, sweet release, mm-hmm. and this makes her horny, man. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they the start, pain goes away, and she fucking... Mm.
0: She starts feeling it, man. They start making out with glass sticking out of her hand.
1: <laughs> this you know, is, know how it is. You yeah. S- stick a piece um, of glass in your palm, just flood that basement. Fuck, yeah. <laughs>
0: Jesus Christ.
1: It's <laughs> gross, though. It's really gross. Uh, oh, you flood and the, and the,
0: that basement.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the glass going into the palm effect is re- looks really real. And this is one of those things where I, like, oh, goosebumps. I cringed. And it's yeah. funny. Something that simple, I can watch somebody get their head blown open. But it's like if you stick a piece of glass in your hand, I start to, ah.
0: Yeah, it's like, it's like the pain you can relate to is the hardest one to watch, yeah, in a way. Yeah, like, yeah. breaking bones always gets to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, meanwhile, the army and the criminals are in the tunnels looking for them. Julie starts cutting herself even more and pushing needles through her fingertips. Wait, do we, did, they
1: fucked. Remember? Do they? Do they yeah. Oh, it's yeah, in, they do it's fuck. Implied, yeah. It's implied that they fuck in Riverman's bed <laughs> in his... In his like sewer yeah, apartment right, right. yeah i think we're really glossing over
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're right i just wrote that they start making out and i guess i skipped i, I didn't skip ahead in the movie yeah but they
1: end up in bed like there's like an <laughs> aftermath in bed before she starts all of her like real s&m shit oh, it's like kurt again just like is nothing's re- gonna keep yeah. him down man no he's ready to go whenever
0: <laughs> uh ain't nothing gonna break his stride
1: <laughs> uh so the, the army and the criminals
0: are in the tunnels looking for him. Julie starts cutting herself. She's pushing needles through her fingertips and puts a knife in her palm mm. and a chain, a chain through her neck. That's the one that really got me. It's yeah. very cenobite. y Yeah. Uh, at this point, she's full on 90s Nine Inch Nails music video or like a Jim Rose circus yeah. mm-hmm. show. And again,
1: like you said, it's a very, this is oddly like a very 90s thing.
0: Yeah, like body modification mm-hmm. and piercings and stuff. I had several piercings. Well, two piercings, I yeah. guess.
1: Yeah. Let me ask you this uh, completely off-topic question. Did you? Yeah, ever, please. Were you ever familiar with Bizarre Magazine?
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: I used to have a subscription to that. Really, it's all like yeah. body mods and like tattoos and stuff. right? Well, no, not all. That's it's. It was about a whole bunch of stuff. It was just like a, um, how it. So here, I pulled it up just so I can like describe it. Bizarre covered alternative culture through interviews with counterculture personages and articles about the occult, LGBT culture, drug, fetish, and other subcultures. Oh, uh, okay.
0: So it, maybe I'm just more familiar with just seeing it. In the-
1: yeah, you would see it, like, I mean, they would do, like, tattoo and body modification stuff, but also, like, I remember you'd, like, read articles about serial killers and stuff. It's where, uh-huh. I, it's where I learned about the people who, like, want to get rid of, like, the, the, the people who, like, amputate themselves, you know that? Like, lying uh-huh, on, uh-huh. like, a train tracks to, like, get your legs chopped off because it's, like, uh-huh. this crazy compulsion. Anyways, this immediately thought of that. Uh, and that weird era. I was never into that stuff, to be clear. I just thought no, no. it was crazy and wanted to read about it. So, But funny you mentioned that. Uh, because
0: one of my notes coming up is the criminal. The criminals arrive. Mogo, I think the guy's name is Mogo, mm-hmm. is turning into a zombie. Um, they corner uh, Kurt. There's a fight. Then Julie emerges. And she's fully trashed out. Yeah, and we Trash get this from the first movie.
1: Big reveal scene that shows yeah. all her crazy piercings and it's
0: like glass sticking out
1: of her. Yeah, it's super fucked up. And it's like if you're someone who's oh like only seen the cover of this like the, the, the you know, the box of this movie or the poster art, yeah. like that's it's it's a very toned down version of what you actually see here, which is super gruesome. I meant to look this up before we started
0: recording, mm-hmm. but I remember yeah. this movie being subtitled. Not subtitled as in, like, foreign movie, but, like, uh-huh. having... And I remember it being Return of the Living Dead 3, Living Dead Girl. Am I... Is that a Mandela effect?
1: Either that, or maybe this is... Like, maybe it's something that came after the fact? That sounds like... Maybe. Like, maybe somebody made that art uh, yeah, maybe.
0: I, I, sw- like, I have a very distinct memory of like seeing this in the video store.
1: I haven't stumbled across that living dead girl anywhere in my research on the movie so far. Okay.
0: Uh, so she looks a lot like trash. Tits out. Nipples pierced. She's full on cenobite at this point. And <laughs> I wrote, Price is jacking off.
1: <laughs> Not accurate. <laughs> I had already finished.
0: Um, so santo like the leader of the gang is unfazed and he says odelay to to her tits <laughs> which i thought was funny <laughs> he's uh, like really into it yeah he's into it man so he's like gonna go into the other room to fuck her yeah it's, like he's like i'm gonna take this girl in the other room
1: uh some questionable decision making yeah again riverman's fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah riverman at this point is just like, like jesus who- people
0: I'm, yeah. I live in a tunnel, and you guys are freaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, use some Febreze. Um, so then Mogo dies in his girlfriend's arms, bringing the body count up to six. Uh, from behind the door, Santos screams. The door opens. Julie's holding his fucking head. <laughs> his spinal cord is coming out, like yeah, sub-zero got- yep, style.
1: exactly. That was my note, sub-zero action.
0: Body count up to seven.
1: Yeah, she uh, fucked Santos up.
0: Yeah, it looks
1: crazy.
0: Um, Julie gets Felipe or Felipe and bites his lip off, kills him. Body count goes up to eight. Slashes the some girl's leg who's trying to escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's like trying to cl- climb up the ladder.
1: Up she the uses her like cover. new claws. Yeah,
0: yeah. Scrapes her leg. Mogo comes alive and finishes that girl off. Uh, body counts up to nine. So Santos, with his spine extended out of his shoulders, this reanimates.
1: Is fucked up. He it looks,
0: looks awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's this is like uh, this reminded me of Dead Alive. Um, yeah, the effect they use for his once he comes back to life, it's like kind of the the head zombie in Dead Alive. His the lead character's mother towards the end just becomes so grotesquely like mutilated and yeah. Yeah. Ugh, it's, it's really gruesome.
0: Uh, so Julie's getting hungry again. Julie and Kurt are hiding behind like in another room. They're kind of like holding up some boards to keep those guys out. Mm-hmm. Santos just sticks his head with his spine extended through the hole. Yeah. Uh, the zombies are beating, beating their way in Riverman. Jumps into action, breaks a pipe, and steams them all. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: he grabs Julie while Kurt fights off the zombies, and they run out of there. Well, it, Kurt – and it's it, this is the, one of those dumb plot things where it's like Kurt has this whole, like, you've got to get her out of here thing. Yes, yes. Where it's just exactly. like you're not really doing much good holding that door. Like no. you should just all leave.
0: Yeah, you can. Got you guys yeah. can all make it.
1: Yeah, and this is also the point in the movie where I'm like, Riverman has gone way above and beyond anybody's like, <laughs> like he doesn't owe these people a shit. He I know, fucking their his bed. <laughs> uh, he's like, he's hid them out twice. Julie is a total psycho and he knows it and Kurt's mm-hmm. just like come on man you gave me this coin you gotta and it's like no you have to help someone else now it's like Riverman helps him and gives him the coin and then he just keeps asking him for more shit yeah
0: yeah Riverman really believes in Kurt's uh, drummer career he wants <laughs> yes. him to get to Seattle um, and the only way yeah. to do that is to sacrifice himself yeah
1: R- Riverman is is secretly a giant meat puppets fan <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, there's some business, but Kurt gets out. Unfortunately, Julie has killed
1: Riverman. Yeah, another so, horrifying discovery. Yeah, and this time it's not just eating the brains of a of a deceased store owner. She she did him in.
0: She murdered him. Body counts up to ten.
1: Yeah, and I mean this is an important turning point too because this is uh, the first time that she's killed an innocent you know Mm -hmm, she mm -hmm. did fuck up santos in a really disgusting way but also you know he was a complete and total creep right Um,
0: so really she's starting to devolve into full-on zombie
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, kurt's dad and the army arrive and they dart the zombies And kurt has to choose between julie and his dad
1: yeah dad wants to dad wants to dart julie kurt's Mm -hmm. in the way Starts this whole showdown. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Super intense.
0: Yeah. But, and he chooses his dad because at this point, Julie's killed Riverman. Yeah. Yeah. And he I gets think. The
1: yeah. And I feel like to me, like this is actually a super intense emotional moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it works. And like, I didn't feel so much like he was even choosing his dad as it was just like the dis. Like he he sort of reached his threshold of like disgust and disbelief at what Julie had had become. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, cuz Riverman was a solid dude and uh mm-hmm. sh- she murdered him and uh yeah. So he jumps out of the way and they put her down. Back at the base, Julie's in captivity. Kurt's dad
0: believes that the living dead, they have an inner life. They're they're not just dead flesh reanimated. Sinclair doesn't see it that way. Um so <laughs> Kurt is just wandering around the
1: place. Just base. completely unsupervised <laughs> from
0: room to room. Yeah. He walks by a room full of 245 trioxin. He sees the way the zombies are being treated, treated cruelly. They're, mm-hmm. like, all in cages. Yeah, He finds Julie. She's cowering in a cage. Uh, Sinclair...
1: Yeah, and just just to note, like, she's sort of, she's rehumanized a little bit. Like, yeah. she still has the scars from all of her mutilation, but they've taken all of the the Piercings stuff out of her. Out. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's like, it kind of amplifies this, oh, she's scared, she's cowering, and you can tell it's kind of playing on Kurt's heartstrings again.
0: Oh, yeah, so Sinclair is fitting Riverman with an exosuit, and she says, you're looking at the weapon of the future. <laughs> it's really painful looking. Like they're they're like screwing
1: the exoskeleton yeah. onto his his flesh, and it does not look like the weapon of the future. It no, like it looks like a fucking Iron Maiden. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like it's just like a mat. If I told you someone with no special effects experience at all. No metalworking, robotics, anything like that. I was just like, make an exoskeleton. (laughs) It's like what you would do with $300 in a trip to Home Depot.
0: Yeah. And if we're going this far to like reanimate dead bodies Mm -hmm. and then like screw metal onto their flesh, Mm -hmm. can't we just make a fucking robot? Right. (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't require a dead body, that, yeah. Like, that rocks sc- and, sc-
1: and screams when you drill into the side of its head. It's it's yeah. really horrifying. Yeah, um, it's a shitty plan. She has a bad plan. She
0: has a bad plan. So uh, Kurt punches one of the scientists. Riverman hits the other one, like killing him instantly. Mm, yeah, uh, brings the body count up to eleven, and then Kurt busts Julie out. Um. Cyborg Riverman hits another guy in the head, kills him, brings the body count up to 12. He's chasing Sinclair around the laboratory. Um, this real Anthony Edwards looking dude <laughs> blows Riverman's arm off with a sh- with a gun. Yeah. It looks crazy. Yeah. Riverman just keeps getting his body parts blown away, but the exoskeletons like holding him up. Mhm. It looks
1: brutal. It's very um, gruesome. Yeah.
0: A barrel gets knocked over, releasing another tar man uh, zombie that kills the scientist, the Anthony Edwards looking guy, brings the body count up to 13. Barrels are popping. Riverman's raging. Um, Kurt, so he, kern- he kerners Kurt and Kirkruder. Kurt- <laughs> <laughs> he corners Kurt in a corner. He puts him in the Kurt corner. Puts him in the Kurt corner. Nobody puts Kurt in a corner. Um, and Kurt shows him the Mardi Gras coin to stop him from attacking.
1: Yeah, and he gets through to him. He, he finds that inner life that's still there. Yeah.
0: Uh. So then Riverman decides to help, and he pries the door open for Kurt and Julie, allowing them to escape. Once again, Riverman going above and yeah. beyond
1: Dude, for yeah. these fucking strangers. The, yeah, I, I was honestly hoping that Riverman would have this moment of, like, No, fuck you, Kurt. Yeah, you got me into this mess. (laughs) Yeah, this is your fault. I have done more than enough. Go (laughs) fuck yourself.
0: All I wanted to do was watch a lady jump off a bridge. (laughs) Um, Sinclair shoots him, but a barrel pops behind her, and Mm. another tar man comes out and gets her.
1: Yeah, there's tar men everywhere now. Yep. Although, yeah, there's probably – I mean, yeah, they don't really touch on gas releasing. I have to assume everyone's getting infected, but – Yeah, you think so. They they just kind of gloss over that element of it.
0: The body counts up to 14. Kurt and Julie are running through the facility. Uh, A lockdown is counting down, so they have a ticking clock to get out. Mm -hmm. Zombies are chasing them. A rando guard gets killed. Body counts up to 15. A zombie pops out and bites Kurt.
1: Mm. Oh, shit. Yeah big moment.
0: Mhm. his dad finds him, tells him to come with him.
1: Yeah, there's this like closing kind of Indiana Jones-esque closing gate. Mm-hmm. And dad's like, "You come with me. Come with me, son." And they have a back and forth, right? Yep. This really got me. Uh this was intense. Like it, it, it's the relationship between father and son isn't totally earned here.
0: Yeah, but I did feel it.
1: I But but I, I felt it anyways, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh I, I, I also felt it. Um so he tells him to come with him, Kurt's dad, but Kurt's been bit. It's too mm-hmm. late for him and he chooses Julie.
1: And he doesn't tell Dad as far as like does does he? Does he, he doesn't even it's 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 weird. I feel like it's a little bit of a missed opportunity with the script where mm-hmm. where you know, dad has a line where he goes, She's dead and there's like a pause and mm-hmm. I'm like, Well he's gonna say so am I, right? and then he yeah right he should have and then he didn't and i don't know if he said anything or said something else but anyways it's sort of anticlimactic um so uh they walk by an
0: incinerator they hold hands kiss and they torch themselves Mm -hmm. bringing the body count up to 16 and that is the end of return of the living dead three
1: and just in case you were waiting the entire movie nary a joke to be seen anywhere. There's there's nothing. Which, it it still works better than the second movie, but this movie is dark. It is Mm -hmm. really depressing.
0: Just as dark as the first movie, but with none of the humor.
1: Yeah. Certainly none of the humor is the second movie. Um, Before we get into the wrap-up, I do, Mm -hmm. just because I haven't really touched on it, Mm -hmm. I want to do a huge shout-out. I think Melinda Clark is really good in a this is like a tough role that requires a lot of acting, and she yeah. does a really good job.
0: Yeah, she does. So wrapping it up here for Return of the Living Dead Part 3, uh, there's a few categories that we'd like to talk about here. Of course, the body count and the whole series, uh, the whole movie is 16. Um, it's pretty high, and it's pretty, pretty gross. High. Yeah, there's some real, real good gore in this movie. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So, Mike, who is your favorite character in Return of the Living Dead Part 3?
1: Okay. Uh, I'm not going to go for a funny um, answer here. I think uh, it's pretty clear from from my little um, serenade of Melinda Clark. But Julie is a super complex character yeah. who goes through a very <laughs> literal and also emotional transformation over the course of this movie. I think the actress – sorry actor we say actor now it's 2020 oh Oh, shit can we record that no okay fair enough uh actor melinda clark uh just does a really good job um and kurt isn't bad either certainly he does i think he does okay he has a lot less to do his character isn't so well fleshed out yeah but but yeah this script i think really fleshes her out well she's played really well and the gruesome transformation into s and zombie really works. Uh, so, yeah, Julie, all the way.
0: For me, um, you know I love an underdog. You know I love someone who's selfless, who just wants to help. Just like you. Just like me. If you need a dirty bed to screw on, I'm your guy. <laughs> so, therefore, my favorite character is Riverman. Riverman. Rest in peace, Riverman gone too soon. Yeah, Riverman was great. He uh, he
1: deserved better.
0: So these movies are old. In this case, this movie is almost twenty years old. Uh, so there's going to be some moments here that just don't age well. Don't hit a modern. This movie years. is almost
1: thirty years old. You're right. Wow. <laughs> yeah, this movie is twenty seven years old. Wow. Jesus yep. Christ.
0: Uh, so for me, the moment that aged the worst. I I kind of called it out before, which mm-hmm. took the wind out of my sails. But when somebody says Sandusky, get over here, <laughs> I can't get by it, can't get past it.
1: Yeah, I think um, for me, in a general sense, I think just the characterization of the Latino gang, uh, it's you know it's tough. I mean because like they're all um actors of color and they do a good job and it's you know Mm -hmm. they're appropriately menacing they are menacing Um, it's just i think the characterizations are very one note and they're just so over the top especially santos is just so over the top evil yeah yeah um and the whole you know there's a lot of this movie is shot like the the it's supposed to look like south central um, and yeah I think it's just like an old characterization that reinforces a lot of uh, unfortunate and not real stereotypes
0: yeah um, in a way they should have been a punk gang which we all know mm-hmm. I love 80, 80s punk gangs Yeah. Um, so the best death in the movie there's a lot of great deaths in there this movie there are some
1: really good ones in here yeah what, what, do, what do you have Eric I have
0: Santos his uh, head being pulled out <laughs> spinal cord that's fucking rad
1: yeah yeah definitely i think for the impact that it has uh for setting the stage for the whole thing honestly the first death of the film when the uh when the skinny freakish snm zombie smashes the scientist's head into the glass and the blood streaking everywhere. It's just, it's very blunt. It's very gruesome. And it was a welcome return to real gore for me after the hijinks of Return of the Living Dead Part 2.
0: Next thing we like to cover here is what we call here on Killstreak the Carpenter Scale. And it's our theory that all of these movies fall somewhere in the uh, oeuvre,
1: <laughs> the continuum.
0: Of- <laughs> Of our favorite director, one of our favorite directors, John Carpenter.
1: It's and we're talking about that, in terms of scares, in terms of frights.
0: In terms of frights, exactly. Yeah. So we have on one end of the spectrum, we have the made-for-TV Elvis movie. Yeah, that's like the, a zero on the Carpenter scale of scares.
1: And then on the other end, a number 10 would be The Thing. Yeah, horrifying. Just mm-hmm. scare anybody. Um, for me... I found this movie to be periodically scary. Um, Again, it's one of those where I think there are some horror uh, series that go for frights and some go for gore, and this is definitely a gore movie. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think based on those qualifications, I'm going to rank this movie as a uh the fog on the carpenter scale oh, of scares did i steal a, yours
0: you son of a
1: bitch all right wait i'll i can change it i i have no no no
0: no stay okay. with the fog that's good
1: all right yeah the fog for those of you who haven't caught up on it recently actually very gruesome um mm-hmm. and it's sort of creeping and depressing the fog again not a fun movie a kind of uh depressing frightening film not you know it's got it's got some jump scares so that's that's where i landed on the on the carpenter scale
0: well i just called him a son of a bitch cuz he stole it from me but yeah <laughs> that's exactly right i think this movie is uh the fog we are of one mind um hey i do want to say mm-hmm. last episode you said you said that the uh okay. the eyes of laura mars
1: uh huh like, yeah what about it is
0: that a Carpenter movie?
1: Yeah, dude. Uh, I never, just uh, didn't
0: s I just didn't see it in his uh
1: Um He wrote it. He didn't direct oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Irving Irving Kirshner directed it. Okay. Yeah, okay.
1: Star Wars, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, listen, we're not all perfect like you. We can't <laughs> we can't all be river man.
0: <laughs> I mean, if you need a bed, I, I'm just saying I got a bed. All right. Is it in a uh, sewer? Mike. Yeah, it's in a okay. sewer. All right. You know great. me. All right, great. Um, okay, so a very binary decision here. Return of the Living Dead 3. If you were going to – if you have a limited amount of time and you wanted to watch some of the Return of the Living Dead movies, is Return of the Living Dead 3 worth watching?
1: Yes, I think so. Um, it's not uh, it's not a home run like the first one, but I think it is a lot better than Return of the Living Dead Part Two, which is a hard pass for me. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't fit in great with at least like the sort of tone that's set by the first movie, mm-hmm. but I think just uh, on its own, it is a movie worth watching. It's got a point of view. It's it's pretty well made, especially for the amount of money they had to make it.
0: Yep. I have to agree. Um, it is worth watching. It's it's a good horror movie. It's maybe not a great Return of the Living Dead movie, mm-hmm. but I still think of the three we've reviewed so far, it's definitely worth watching.
1: Yeah. And if you want to bum the shit out of yourself, it's a great one to, to throw on.
0: Yeah. So uh, we have one final segment here that we're going to do today. It's something that we are calling – Our Mount Rush Gore. And uh, this movie, I think you could consider to be a body horror movie, which, you know, is movies that deal with gruesome transformations or really brutal and disgusting injuries and wounds that happen to your body. Things that just generally creep you out and make your body feel like you're in danger.
1: Yeah, oh. body horror is uh, sometimes referred to as biological horror. It's mm-hmm. a cool. Uh, I've always been a fan. Uh, it, you know, a lot of movies, like I, I would say, for instance, this is really the first one in this series that that really qualifies. Because when we talk about body horror, we're not talking about zombies getting their heads lopped off or even no. you know brains being eaten. What it really is is it's 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 more about transformation uh it's about aberrance and mutation and uh mm-hmm. you use the word fused earlier right mm-hmm. like when mm-hmm. when something becomes fused with something it's this this it's this corruption this perversion of a body and um the reason we bring it up is because this is something that brian yasna uh in in his other works too it's a it's a, a recurring motif for him
0: so our mount rush Rushcore- is going to consist of four legendary body horror directors. They don't have to to be exclusively working in the realm of body horror, but they've done it the best.
1: Yeah, who would you put up on the Mount Rush gore of body horror technicians?
0: In my book, you got to start with David Cronenberg. I mean, he basically... Invented the genre. I'm sure that's not true. I'm sure there's shit that was happening before, but he's the one who, almost in every single film mm-hmm. of his, has brought this genre, the subgenre, to the forefront uh, and really shaped it for the modern viewer.
1: Yeah. So Cronenberg, I mean, probably his most famous film and also the the best case for his sort of body horror chops is *The Fly*. Right. Yeah. Um, Which the entire movie sort of tracks this transformation of a body from one thing to another. And just these gruesome moments, like the teeth and the fingernails coming out Uh and, you know, things poking through uh, the skin. And uh, I'll never forget, to me, always the most jarring moment in the entire film is the arm wrestling contest.
0: Oh, yeah, that was... Haunting, like yeah. really burned into my brain, mm-hmm.
1: and that's not—it's not supernatural. It's not sci-fi. It's literally just watching someone have a horrifying compound fracture of their arm. Ugh. It's, but yeah, those are those are the Cronenberg moments. Uh, Videodrome is a big one. Yeah, uh, The Brood, uh, Existence. All I mean, you can you can look almost anywhere in his filmography and find just things happening with human bodies that shouldn't happen.
0: Have you ever seen the movie Shivers, or uh, it's sometimes called They Came From Within?
1: Is that the one with um, the... Who's the adult film actress? Who, uh,
0: oh, um...
1: Yes, that's Rabid, I, right? That's Rabid. Okay.
0: Also really good. I, yeah. I, I highly recommend it.
1: I've seen bits and pieces of Shivers, but I've never watched the whole thing.
0: I recommend it. It sort yeah. of falls in this... It's almost a zombie movie. Uh-huh. It's not really zombies, but... Um, In probably the lightest on quote-unquote body hoarder of of his movies. But uh, very, very good. Worth checking out. So, Mike, who would you like to add as the second head on Mount Rush Gore?
1: (laughs) All right. Um, My next pick for Mount Rush Gore is going to have to be this filmmaker, Brian Yuzna. Um, there's a reason why we wanted to do this uh, segment today. I think that when you go back through his work, you can see this theme popping up again and again. And obviously, like we said, he, be- he-, he became well known after uh, helping make Reanimator. And while he's not the director of that movie, uh, he definitely had some creative input on it. And that is a great '80s body horror flick. But as you uh, move to Bride of Reanimator, the sequel, which he did direct, uh, you can see that expanding out even more. Bride of Reanimator, sort of a gruesome retelling of Bride of Frankenstein. So there's there's a lot of stitching together of body parts in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a great. Uh, little creature where they take three fingers and (laughs) and an eyeball and they twist all the sort of nerve endings together to make this little hand eyeball Mm -hmm. uh, thing but I mean I think that Brian Yuzna's and obviously this film with with the body mutilation but his sort of pièce de résistance as it were when it comes to body horror is uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it the film Society Um, Oh my it's you've, a great movie. You've seen it, yeah. It oh, is an, yeah, yeah. It's an insane film. It is truly unhinged. It's. I mean, I don't really know how to act. I, I'm not going to spoil it for people who haven't seen it. Mm. I will just say that it is Beverly Hills 90210 meets uh, horrible body morphing and fusion alien subplot it is the acting is terrible but mm-hmm. in a compelling in, in, in a, like a really watchable way
0: yeah i think it's on shutter or at least it was when i watched it
1: uh yeah it's on it's actually on amazon prime right now so oh awesome um, yeah so for all those reasons brian yesna is my second pick for mount rush Gore of body horror what about you number three
0: uh so for me one movie that really has always stuck in my head since I saw it uh, is in, definitely in this category is directed by Takashi Mike, who I think has done it a few times over the course of, of his career. But personally, Audition is mm-hmm. one of the most disturbing movies ever made in one of the most visceral um, reactions, at least from me when I watch something, mm-hmm. uh, of of Grievous injury done to a body. Yeah. And I think he's also done it in, like, Ichi the Killer, mm-hmm. which has a ton of disgusting body mutilation and transformation. Uh, but yeah, that is going to be my number three for Mount okay. Rush Gore.
1: Great. Um, my final pick for Mount Rush Gore. And then, and as we've said before on the show, once we've assembled this Mount Rush Gore, it is canon. This mm-hmm. is, there's, you can no longer be debated. Uh, Eric and I, as the foremost experts uh, on the planet of of these types of of judgments, uh, we've set our Mount Rushmore, and this will be it for everybody to use. So uh, you're welcome. Um, I'm going to go with Clive Barker. Um, Sure. Author, first and foremost, uh, but also an accomplished filmmaker. um, Most famous for Hellraiser which I think it would be a great double feature flick for return of the living dead three, uh, a very dark movie without much of a sense of humor that likes to blur the lines between sex and violence and death. Um, there's a ton of uh, really gruesome body mutilation in uh, the first two Hellraiser movies, which uh To my memory, are the only ones that I would recommend to anyone. I am sure that at some point we will get to the Hellraiser series Mm -hmm. when Eric and I have the energy to tackle what I believe is 10 or more films. Jesus Christ. Um, Yeah, but uh, those first two, for sure, especially if you haven't seen the original Hellraiser, I highly recommend it. Uh, A lot of good stuff with hooks and flesh and really gross. Um, Also, the movie Nightbreed, which is uh, an interesting failed sort of fantasy horror film. Uh, Actually stars David Cronenberg. Um, Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot of interesting um, sort of uh, mutated bodies in that film. A lot of really cool makeup work. Um, not quite as dark as Hellraiser, if you're looking for something a little more fantastical. And also, I want to call out one of my favorite, more forgotten Clive Barker movies, Lord of Illusion, um, which stars Scott Bakula from Quantum mm-hmm. Leap as a private detective. Uh, it takes place in Los Angeles. A, they go to the Magic Castle. It touches on it's like music, uh, magicians and illusionists, and huh. but there's um, I've never seen it. It's, it's great. I, I mean, I'm a huge fan. I highly recommend it to you. Uh, the lead villain is this guy named Nix, who is played by Daniel Von Bargen, who you may recognize as the head of Kruger Industrial Smoothing from Seinfeld. Uh, really? Yes, my absolute favorite <laughs> of all of George Costanza's bosses. Uh, There's a point in the film when uh, the R falls off the sign in Kruger Industrial Smoothing. So he points out to George that it looks like it says K. Uger Industrial Smoothing. And he goes, yeah, it's like an old timey car horn, you know, K. Uger. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, uh, but he's cool because he's got a fucking hole in his head for part of the movie that looks kind of like an asshole. It's gross. Yeah. yeah, that's another thing with body horror—a lot of like vaginas that aren't vaginas and mm-hmm. buttholes that aren't buttholes. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, who isn't excited by that concept? <laughs> I know um, I am. All right, well, that should just about wrap it up for this episode of Kill Streak. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed. We definitely did. Um, next week, we will be dealing with the fourth movie in the Return of the Living Dead franchise, which is which one, Eric? necropolis return of the return of the living dead for necropolis we were almost there we almost made it to the end of the show um yeah very cool uh so stick around for that one uh and as always if you guys want to get a hold of us you got uh, comments questions suggestions hit us up at killstreakpod at gmail.com and please uh like and rate us on itunes and leave a review and all that good stuff so that we can get this podcast out to more people And as always, guys, I bought you that motorcycle
0: and I let you be a rock and roll drummer.